This is the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Now here at the Menopause Movement, we've surveyed over 50,000 menopausal women. And through this, we've discovered that the number one cause of menopausal suffering for our clients is weight gain. Now you've said things like, how do I lose the mental belly? I don't recognize myself anymore. How can I get me back? When menopause hit me out of the blue, I had no idea what was happening. And when I gained about 50 pounds overnight, I hated what I saw in the mirror. The menopause movement exists to provide world-class transformational education to women who are suffering from the symptoms and effects of menopause. And we're here to give you the education you need to get your life back. We want menopause to be the best time of your life. I mean, it is for me, and I want that for you. After years of trial and error, I finally cracked the code with my menopause weight, and now I want to share with you how I did it. I realized that what helped me the most was a challenge. So we've created a challenge for you to help you lose your mental belly. Simply go to menopausemovement.com forward slash challenge to sign up. I'll see you there. Hey, what's up, Minopod? Have you ever tried to do something that you were sure you could do, but then find out later it was just better to pay someone to do this for you? Well, that was my experience this week when I tried to shave my dog. You see, I have two Newfoundlands and they're sushi and sashimi. And Newfies are big dogs. They're bred to work and they're lovely. They have webbed feet and they're used for water rescue. Not mine though. <laughs> they love to swim. When we go away, our dogs get to go on a vacation too. They, they go to a local home where they get spoiled, eat off forks, and swim in a pond. They have long hair. This keeps them warm and cool and also mats. And the mats start to smell and they smell really bad. Which brings me back to my epic fail. You see, we lost our groomer and most groomers are full, but our dogs came back stinking to high heaven. So we did what any sensible person would do. We washed them. And that worked for sushi, but not for sashimi. He was so matted and stinky, I decided to shave him. And my thought process was around this. I shaved my head, so how hard can it be to shave my dog? So, okay, groomers don't get paid enough. I tried uh, with two different razors, and after an hour of work and seeing that it wasn't even and it looked really bad, I gave up. Thankfully, I got the uh, end of a groomer for next week, but um, I like to say that you can do anything you put your mind to. Sometimes I find it's just easier to let the experts do the job, and I'm okay with that difference. And that brings us to our guest, who is Sarah Manuel. She's had an amazing life, and she's going to talk about it. She's never taken no for an answer. Despite living life in a wheelchair and being given a death sentence as a child, Sarah has never accepted her limitations. When Sarah was told the, to be satisfied merely to exist, she told anyone who would listen to her her dreams for the future, including having a meaningful career, uh, falling in love, and having a child. And Sarah successfully turned those dreams into reality, and now she has taken these hard-won lessons and teaches others how to envision the future of their dreams, discover their purpose, and turn their dreams into reality. During our podcast, we talk about Sarah's adversity throughout her life, what it's like living with a disability, feeling lost and unfulfilled, trying to be someone else, what circumstances really are, celebrating birthdays, embracing purpose. Sarah's children's book, Differences Are Dynamite, it helps children find and celebrate differences between each other. 
and stay to the end to find out some simple questions to ask yourself about how to find your purpose. At the end of the episode, visit menopausemovement.com forward slash podcast, where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy this episode, make sure to leave a written review like and subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Let me know what your biggest menopause struggle is. I really do want to know. Tell me on Instagram at Dr. Michelle Gordon or on Facebook at Dr. Michelle Gordon. And thanks again for being a part of the menopod. Now let's get to Sarah. <music> Sarah Manuel, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's awesome. So let's hear a little bit about your story. You're, you know, you talk about how, you know, you were given a death sentence as a child. I mean, I think that's the first place to start. <laughs> you know, somebody who was given a death sentence as a child. I mean, you're, you're not dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was, um, diagnosed with um, one of the muscular dystrophy diseases called spinal muscular atrophy. It's the number one genetic killer of kids under two years old. And at the time of my diagnosis, my parents were told that I wouldn't probably make it past four or five years. So it is quite the miracle that I am sitting here today. Right on. Okay. So most people who have this disease only live to about five? Um, well, it depends on how severe it is. So there are many that don't make it out of infancy, but also now there are treatments available to where it's amazing that it, some of them don't even look like they have any sort of impairment at all. Um, oh, wow. So it is truly amazing what um, our medical science has done in 40 plus years. Sure. And, and has, the, has that medical science helped you in your, you know, in, in your longevity? I have not taken any of the treatments. One of them is requires a spinal tap um, mm. multiple times. And when I was 10 and extended through my um, 11th birthday, um, I had a spinal fusion to where I had scoliosis to where there was a really severe curvature of my spine. Mm. So they put metal rods on both sides of my spine and glued it with some of my bone. And I am not willing to have them go drill holes in that or mess with that or anything. I see. And I then see. the other treatment that's available, we're kind of holding off on to get a little bit more data um, because I am doing so well and I'm so strong that I, I'm not feeling that rush or that desperation to try to, to intervene right now. Mm -hmm. So we're just kind of, kind of wait for more data, more research to come in to make sure that it does everything it's supposed to do without any really severe side effects. Great. But the newer treatments are, are, are they keeping chi the children out of wheelchairs? In some cases, yes. That's amazing. Um, there is a spine, like a gene therapy that's mm. available if you're under two years old. And the kids that have received that, in addition to some of these other treatments, you can't even tell that they have any sort of compromised um, muscular issues and definitely not as severe. It, it's amazing. And now they even do screenings at newborn so they can get the treatments before they're starting to feel the effects because the disease is progressive. 
Yeah. So if you can get it before it begins to progress, then you're really in a sweet spot. Wow. Well, that's great. But you're kind of you're you're kind of arrested, right? You're you're not still progressing. No, it's it's always progressing. I haven't seen much progression, but when I see someone who hasn't seen me for a while, they can tell because it's so minimal that I don't really pick up on it too much. Like I know that there are things I used to be able to do that I can't do now. Mm. Um, but for the most part, my day to day life isn't that impacted by my progression at this point. So I, I think that's really important to to think. So you're having you know these small uh, progressions, right? And you don't recognize them right. as they happen. But they're cumulative. And over time, you're seeing that you can't do things as much. And I think that, that this is an opportunity for us to talk about the power of 1%. And, and we turn it around, right? I mean, for you, it's like 1% maybe worse. But if what you were trying to do is get 1% better, it doesn't feel like anything. And just like you're talking about how your progression doesn't feel like anything, it's the same thing. And when we want to get better, if we can accept 1% improvements, 1% improvements are then cumulative. And I found that for me, like in my, I'm, I'm a fitness enthusiast, I, I like to run. And when I first started running, I could run for a minute. And then my heart rate was like 180. <laughs> and now I can run for, you know, 30, 40 minutes, and my heart rate stays below 160. So it's a cumulative kind of thing. And just like anything else that we're trying to get better at, if we can improve 1%, that stacks on it, and then you get a what feels like an exponential improvement. So I, I just I just thought that was a really good way to to kind of capitalize on what's happening. So yeah, and I experienced that. I had pancreatitis like 15 years mm. ago. And of course, when I get something, it just, it gets me good. So then it formed an abscess in my stomach and then the abscess ruptured. Mm. So I was going septic and I was on so many IV antibiotics and everything for a, a few weeks. I knew I felt crummy, but I didn't realize how bad I felt until I started to feel better. Oh, kind of the same idea like you don't really know how bad you are in a situation until you start to to get your way out of it oh that's that's such a that's I mean I mean I'm just kind of blown away by what you just said because when we're stuck in something when we're feeling really crappy and we're in a funk it isn't until we start to unfunk ourselves that we start to realize Mm -hmm. that oh my God, you know, I don't have to feel this way and I can feel better and, and all the things. So yeah, it, it, and you don't know how bad you were feeling until you start to feel better. And it's just kind of this spiral. So let's talk a little bit about what your childhood was like uh, when, you were, when you were growing up uh, as, you know, someone who is disabled. What, you know, were you in a wheelchair like your whole childhood? I was in a little umbrella stroller until I turned four. I got my first push wheelchair. And then I got my first power wheelchair when I was like seven years old in second grade. All right. And and so what was that like, like being in, where did you grow up? I grew up in Northern California in a very rural area. There's rice fields on one side and walnut and almond orchards on yeah, the other. Ca- California so, feeds the country. Very small. You know, yeah. Yes, it does. So, so what was that like? I mean, to be different, to be the only kid in a wheelchair growing up? Well, I was always very welcomed um, in my school. Like there was never any talk of me going to a different school. It was just kind of assumed and, you know, just an automatic thing that 
I would go to school like everyone else. I would be like everyone else. Um, mm-hmm. We were very planted in the community. I grew up in the house my dad grew up in. So my family's been there for generations. So it was like, oh, well, Sarah's in a wheelchair, but we're still, we're not going to exclude her from anything. So I got to find different ways to participate in everything. Like in junior high, when the girls started doing sports, I would keep score that first year. In high school, I wanted to be on the cheerleading squad, so I was the mascot. Um, so I was able to find my own entry point to do the things that every other kid was was doing. So that was very fortunate. So did that... But at the same okay. time... Go ahead. At the same time, I was... Because I was the only one uh, with an obvious disability, I was able to pretend to myself that I was didn't have a disability or anything different, which is good in one sense, but in the other sense, I kind of denied part of who I was. Like as I was getting older, I would, you know, call to make reservations my for restaurants or whatever. And my parents would ask me, well, is it wheelchair accessible? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to call back because it never occurred to me that I was different. Like I was really, really good at being in denial. Mm. All right. So how, how did that denial, I, I guess the question better, the better question is what, what was the cost of that denial for you? Eventually it was very painful because I was trying to be someone that I could not be. And no matter how hard I tried and how much I worked, because I denied that part of myself, I was never going to achieve what I wanted, which was to be typical. I wanted to be walking. I wanted to be just like everyone else. I didn't want to be different. So I set myself up to, you know, have lots of pain and suffering, trying to be someone I wasn't and would never be. So a lot of energy, right? You spend a lot of energy trying yes. to be someone a else. A lot of time, a lot of energy. Right. And, yes. and was there an ultimate cost for that? Did you have any sort of a breakdown or, or like, did it affect your mental health? What happened? Well, I got to a point, I was, I didn't really have any breakdown. There was still part of, I was still, you know, a very good student. I was still going to college, pursuing what I wanted to do there. Um, I met um, the man who would be my husband. So I felt accepted there but then it came to a point where I just I didn't know what I wanted to do or be with my life I I I felt like I kept starting things and could never finish and I just I felt you know kind of like a loser like you know I have the college degree but nothing to show for it and except you know (laughs) student loan debt and all that kind of thing like I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and it was only when I accepted my disability. And I heard from one of my friends that my disability wasn't a mistake. Like I was meant to be disabled for whatever reason there was, but it wasn't a mistake and I wasn't a mistake. And when I heard that, it was freeing to me. It's like, oh, well then there's a reason for me having this disability for being in this wheelchair. And I'm going to find out what that is. And that led me to um, being a school psychologist, wow. which um, it does align with with my purpose. Sure. So, so you you became a school psychologist after college, and what what did it take for you? I mean, 
how did you have to look at your circumstances and kind of rethink them? Well, before I kind of got the message that I wasn't a mistake, I when I would go out in about like in the cities, because again, I grew up in a very small area, there was no one else like me around, I would be confronted not I mean, I would I would see other people with disabilities. And I would get really uncomfortable because it was like Mm. looking in a mirror. And that denial that I was so good at doing wasn't possible when you're looking in the mirror and seeing, you know, this part of yourself that you don't want to see. Um, so when I was on that journey to figure out why I was in a wheelchair, it was very healing. And it was, I was able to accept not only my circumstance, but it made me, you know, not be upset or uncomfortable around other people with disabilities. So I was able, it, that freed me to be able to go into school psychology because, you know, in that job, I identify kids with disabilities and I advocate for them and sure. their families. So I went from really being uncomfortable about around being around other people with disabilities to embracing that and, and doing that for my wow. life's work. So looking in the mirror, I think is, is such a great analogy. I mean, you know, I hear from so many women in menopause who don't want to look in the mirror because their, their bodies have changed and, you know, they don't, they don't recognize themselves anymore and that sort of thing. And Ryan Holiday wrote this book called the obstacle is the way. And it's really basically about how to, how to get past whatever thing it is that's, that's keeping you from, from getting where you want to go. And, and, I recommend that everyone read it. It's it's really about the Stoics and and how when you move toward the obstacle, which in your case was your disability, and in, in my case was my body image, you can get past it, but it takes work and perseverance and acceptance. I think more than anything else, there's there's a big 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 piece of acceptance that's required. So, do you help do you help kids who are uh, maybe you know trying to grapple with their own disability? what, you know, to, to accept themselves? Yeah, there's definitely a part of that because we teach them how to advocate for themselves, how to Mm. express to their teachers and eventually their employers what they need to be successful. And they have to know themselves well enough to be able to do that and to feel Mm. comfortable with doing that. And beyond that, I have also found that everyone has differences. It's not just those with disabilities, it's everyone. And that we were given those differences for a reason. And I truly feel that our purpose lies in that side of ourselves that we try to deny or hide or downplay um, to make other people, not only ourselves, but to make other Mm -hmm. people less uncomfortable. And notice I didn't say to make them comfortable because I think if you're denying part of yourself and downplaying it, you're not, no one's going to be comfortable, the people around you or yourself. So I truly feel that that is like the key. That's the goal. And when we're trying to find our purpose is if we look at what's staring us in the face sometimes and instead of running from it, embrace it and celebrate it, that that is the key to finding. um, Yeah, I I, I think that's so important to, you know, embrace it and run toward it. That's that's really great. So let's talk a little bit about how different isn't bad. It's just different. Yeah, I think society kind of sets up these rules that if you are different in any way, that's a negative thing. And I don't think it's either negative or positive. I think it just is what it is. 
And if we can embrace that it is what it is, rather than giving it a value judgment, that is like the first step to acknowledging and accepting the things that make you different. That's really amazing. I've been spending a lot of time recently thinking about and and reading about circumstances and, and how all of our suffering is based on our thoughts around the circumstances. And here you are, you know, you have a, you have a disability. That's a circumstance. There's, you can't do anything about it. It just is, right? It's neither good nor bad. I, one of my mentors, his name is uh, Dr. Sri Kumar Rao, and he talks about, you know, good thing, bad thing, who knows? It just is, right? So it's a circumstance. Mm-hmm. And it's really how we choose to view that circumstance that can create suffering or ease suffering. And, you know, whatever happens, I mean, and, and, you know, you think about menopause as the menopause movement podcast. So I always got to bring it back to menopause and mm-hmm. you think about menopause and menopause is a circumstance. It happens. And a lot of women think it just sucks. Right. But in, at the end of the day, it just happens. And our thinking about it is what makes it good, bad, indifferent, sucky, lovely, you know, whatever. I mean, there are parts about it that, that might be really awful if you get a lot of hot flashes and that sort of thing. But but it still is just a circumstance. And how we choose to view our circumstances is what is what makes everything worthwhile and makes makes everything, you know, what what it is. Absolutely. And I feel that especially like when it comes to my birthday. I love my birthday. I am happy to say that I'm 44. I'm going to be 45 in August. Um, because for me, it's a celebration because I wasn't supposed to get these years. And then you talk to someone else and they're like, I'll never say how old I am. And birthdays are all the same once you get an adult. And it's like, no, not for me. I celebrate everyone. And I am a fundamental believer that it's a birthday month, not a birthday. Like I'm going to (laughs) make the most out of it. That's great. So that that's funny. I, I, you know, I think the fact that you're 44 and you weren't supposed to live past four is a miracle. And I think we have to acknowledge that. What about menopause? Are you having any menopause uh, symptoms, you know, perimenopause, any of that? Not that I know of. Like, I okay. just like clockwork every month and I, I don't feel <laughs> any different than I have felt. So I don't think it's coming yeah. yet. It might just be early for you. Yeah, it might be early for you. Average age of menopause is 51. So you've got you've got some time. So uh, you have a child, right? I do. I have a 10 year old. So you were able to get you were able to get pregnant 10 years ago, or 11 years ago. Right. For years, um, the doctors kind of went back and forth of whether they recommended it or not. And we finally decided that it was worth the risk to have that part of our life fulfilled rather than wonder what if. So first month we tried to get pregnant, I got pregnant. It was an easy, easy pregnancy. Like I wouldn't have known I was pregnant except I didn't have periods. It was that easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were really concerned about how my lungs would do um, during the pregnancy. And the doctors were constantly giving me pulmonary function tests to measure it. And my lungs actually improved. Like they got stronger. And then they always have the hardest time drawing blood for me because... My veins are, you know, they've been used and abused through all the hospital stays and everything over the years. I just don't have the strength to to get them to the surface. And it was easy. Every single poke that they had to do, they got the first time Wow. when I was pregnant. And um, we were just hoping I would carry him to 32 weeks so that his lungs would be developed enough. I worked until 35 weeks, had him at 38 weeks. So it, it was amazing. And I was actually awake. I had to have general anesthesia. Um, to have them because of the whole Harrington rods are not going to do an epidural in my spine thing. Yeah. 
So I was awake while they intubated me so that he would have less exposure to general anesthesia. And even that, I mean, it sounds horrible to be awake while you're intubated, but it the doctors were so good. It was it was a great experience. Yeah, there 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 are like places and and times for awake intubation. We do it sometimes in trauma. We do it like in your situation, and it's just a matter of communicating well with the patient. And yeah, yeah so that the, the anesthesiologist was amazing. Yeah, that's that's really great. So you had a C-section. Yes. Yeah. All right. So your son is ten years old now, and he doesn't have any problems like the muscular dystrophy no, or anything we, like that? No, we know he's a carrier because he has both genes on my side. But no, and we had the sampling of the placenta when I was like 12 weeks long or something so that we would know if he had it or not, which was a relief because he didn't, he's very stubborn and he didn't hit the milestones when we thought he should have. He was on the later end of normal. So it was a relief to not have that stress going through our minds. Well, does he have my disease? Yeah. And then all the testing that would have come from that would have been very painful to him. So we're glad that we had that sampling done when I was pregnant. Sure. So that we would just put that at ease and just enjoy pregnancy and enjoy him as a baby and not have that stress. So do you feel like you're living your life on purpose now? I do. Yeah. Definitely. And tell me what's the difference in the thoughts you have about yourself now versus the thoughts you had about yourself before when you were doing a lot of pretending. Well, before I would have moments of happiness, but I think happiness is very fleeting. Like if somebody brings you flowers, it makes you happy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the next thing happens and that could take you away from that happiness almost instantly. And now I have this sense of joy and this sense of, you know, no matter what happens, I know I'm living my purpose. I know that I am serving the people I need to serve, whether it's through the school psychology or through my work as a life purpose coach, I know I am serving and using my difference in the way that I think was intended. Well, that's really, um, that's really great. So, yeah. And you wrote a children's book. I did. So let's talk about differences are dynamite. Awesome. And, and it's about animal friends that they have differences and instead of being teased or embarrassed about the, those differences, the friends look for differences in each other and they celebrate them. Oh, so not only is it, you know, good for self-esteem, but I think it's a really good anti-bullying message that just because there's something that's different about you, it's not a reason to be teased or harassed or, or embarrassed or ashamed. Yeah, that's great. And we'll hook that up in the show notes so that you can get that. All right. So you wrote the book, Children's, uh, the the Differences Are Dynamite. And and where, like, ha have you sold a lot? Have you seen, have you seen a good response? I've seen a good response from like the people that know me and they know my story yeah. They're They've gone out and bought it, which was really awesome. Right. And they love the story. Like, I think the story resonates with them. So that's very rewarding. That's great. Yeah. So you, you say you're a life purpose coach and, and what I'd like to do before we go is get, you know, some like, like, how do you, how do you suss out from somebody, you know, who's you're coaching? How do you work with them to get their purpose? Because I, I think a lot of people, especially women in menopause, they start to have a almost an existential crisis and they don't know who they are anymore and they need some direction. So maybe you can help us. Absolutely. So I think the first thing that you need to really ask yourself is what part of yourself are you running from or what part of yourself are you afraid to show to other people? Or if they really knew me, they would know this about me. 
And I think that's where to start and just wonder, well, why do you, you know, think about why you downplay that side of yourself or why you feel embarrassed about that side of yourself and you do just kind of like try to reframe that thought. Well, I'm not going to be embarrassed by this because this is actually my super nice. And this is what makes me special and unique. And I was given this for a reason and I'm going to figure it out and help others by figuring that's cool and what if what about looking at i mean i used to hide behind like the fact that i'm super direct right like i'm really direct and apparently it i I mean i didn't know right i'm just i'm just really direct i say it like it is and and that was really good for me in my surgical career but it is off-putting for some people and those people are not my people and that's okay right i'm just super direct and so i've started to embrace that And I used to think of myself as prickly that I was kind of, you know, I kind of push people away just because I'm so direct. But now it's, it's almost like I've embraced it to the point that, you know, I'm kind of like, come on, let's come on, come and hug this prickly cactus. And, (laughs) you know, and, and I, I'm not going to change that. You know, the things that I've been able to change are how I think about things. And, and I think that, but when it comes down to it, the only thing we really ever can control is how we respond to something. Yes. You know? Absolutely. Our mindset is mm-hmm. amazing, has such amazing powers to really change the whole mm-hmm. game. It, it really is. You know, I, I like to say we live our whole lives in our mind. And if we can make our minds a happy place, then we can have a happy life. And we don't think about the fact that, you know, we experience the world through our, you know, if, if you can see or you can hear, you know, for the most part, we experience the world through our senses. And then we start to make decisions about the senses and the things that, that we see or the things that we hear or the uh, feelings we feel. And everything is interpreted through these early programs that we created when we were children. And we have to go back and look and say, well, are these things still true? And are they serving me? And do they make sense? And once we start to do that, we can we can yeah. really up-level our lives in such a much better way. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that you don't have to believe your thoughts. <laughs> like They're not always telling you the truth. In fact, a lot of times they're probably lying to you, trying to keep you in that place where you feel comfortable. And to really change and, and grow, you have to get out of that comfort zone and move into the growth zone. Yeah. And to do that, a lot of it is divorcing yourself from those negative thoughts that don't serve you anymore. Yeah, the brain the brain wants to keep things consistent. It always wants to think and it wants to think, yes. you know, whatever, whatever, for whatever reason, you know, we have this whole thing about negative thoughts. And I think I think what happens is that whenever we're ridiculed, at least this is my experience, I was ridiculed as a kid. And so I started to think I was worthless. And I had those thoughts and those feelings. I was even told I was worthless. And so those those things kind of seeped into me. And undoing that has been a life's work, really, to undo that. But yeah, we are not our yes. thoughts, but our brain wants to keep just keep things the same because that's safe. And so what we want to do is grow out of that. And the only way to do that is to challenge. And I call her the bitch inside my head who tells me I suck. You know, she's not me. I get to observe her. And that that was super helpful. And also, if you haven't read it, I I do recommend The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. But I had to read it like six times before it sunk in. Yeah, I think I started that one. (laughs) 
I was not ready for it. Yeah, so it, it was it was a lot. And and the only reason I actually finished reading it again was because we used it as a it was a good book group. And so we, you know, we 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 focus on one section of it. And so I'd go for a run and I'd just play that one section over and over. And every time I heard it, it started to sink in and it started to make mm -hmm. sense. But there's the it that that book is hard. <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> so where can people yeah. find you to uh, to come and coach with you? So uh, you can come to my website, sarahmanuel.com. You can, there, I have a couple different classes. I have a free class that teaches you how to find your purpose. Um, and that's at sarahmanuel.com dash or backslash free Great. dash class. And then I also have a beginning program to where I teach you just kind of how to visualize what you want for your future. Um, and that's called Destination Tomorrow. And that's awesome. Wow, great. Website. Was there anything else you were hoping to share before we end today? No, I, I think, well, just your circumstances don't have to dictate mm -hmm. your reality. And just because someone says that you can't do something or that you won't be you know, who, who you want to be doesn't mean that that's true. And it doesn't mean that whatever reality you experience that you can find your own entry point to live, you know, part that part that, yeah, that you dream I love of that. Living. And, you know, here's, here's Sarah who is, you know, had difficulty her whole life and has been able to achieve all of her dreams and you can too. It's such a great story. Well, thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement today. I really appreciate you. And everyone go and buy the book differences are dynamite. You can get it on Amazon. We'll hook it up in the show notes. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Thank you.